It's an In Case You Missed It episode. We take a look back at this past season, at some of the positives that took place, also the negatives. We'll discuss it on Locked On Hornets. Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your podcast. That includes YouTube, so you can check us out there. Watching us, make fools of ourselves. Follow us on Twitter, Walker Mail, Doug Branson, LOH. And you can also follow Doug on his new Substack. He's creating great content. Every Hornets box score. I know it's great because I'm a part of a lot of it. So everyhornetsboxscore.com. That's right. I said it. Substack. That's where you should go check it out for Doug. I'm actually starting the show a little angry at you and this doesn't help your little uh, your little eyebrow raise when I said I'm a part of it which helps make your content great so for those that don't know we had the graphics on our YouTube right the good the bad and the ugly we had that a part of our graphic before we actually came into the show and then I asked Doug before we started recording is the good the bad and the ugly a movie made by Clint Eastwood and then he had this laugh he had this scoff of a laugh like it was the stupidest thing I've ever asked before and he said um yes and I said well, did you laugh because well, I should have known that. It wasn't made by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood starred in it. Um, okay. Yes. Well, I, I, I would have gotten that wrong. I thought that... he directed. Yeah. Like I should have known that. And this is, I just want people to know this one. I don't know how many people out there realize that it was a movie or not, but it was made in 1966, <laughs> and I was but it's born a famous, 30 it's one of the years most later. Famous westerns of all time. Wow, 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 Like you fool. I should have known. So I, I got on this a little bit angry at Doug for making me feel insignificant for not knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now I feel stupid because of that. Well, yeah, I mean, you feel haughty because he, apparently you're the only reason why every Hornets box score is great. Now you feel stupid. I mean, you're just a basket case of emotions right now. You're up <laughs> and down. It's a roller reason. coaster, just like the 2021-22 NBA season for the Charlotte Hornets. Not the only reason. Yes, loud and clear. We will get to the recap here now. The good, the bad, the ugly. The first is the good, and that's what ropes you in. That's what keeps you on the podcast to then hear what exactly took place that was negative this past season. Let's Let's talk about the good, though. I think clearly the start of this all is LaMelo Ball ascending into all-star form. We yeah. thought there was a shot. In fact, we kind of played around with it a little his rookie year. I ended up not happening, which is really hard to do to make an all-star team your rookie year. But we did think that it would happen his second season was an alternate, but was a first alternate. So as soon as somebody wasn't able to go, LaMelo Ball was immediately thrown in. And another thing, too, performed really well in the All-Star game. 7-11 from the field, hit 4 of 8 from three-point range, had that moment with DeJounte Murray, which he's going through his drama right now with Paolo Boncaro, if you want to go check that out. But not with LaMelo. LaMelo and DeJounte had a nice moment on the All-Star floor. Really cool to see this franchise star, Doug, actually become a national star, too. Yeah, absolutely. And he was uh, getting some love from from the coach of that all-star team, playing him in, in late minutes in that game and important minutes. I mean, that's just it's you don't see that every day for someone who's only been in the year for two league for two years. But it shows that I think coaches respect him, players respect him. I mean, there were big time players with some eyeball emoji tweets and some of his highlights throughout that second season. And it's 
you know, I guess those tweets are okay in, in year two when he's still a few years away from restricted free agency. They become a little bit more worrisome as we get closer to that restricted free agency, though. It's like, hey, players, a little bit. I, eyeballs to yourself. Keep your eyes to yourself. Eyeball emojis to yourself. Don't worry about what LaMelo's doing. You stick with your own team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's great that he was his first alternate. I'm, I'm looking forward to him erasing the alternate, you know, mm-hmm. thing altogether this next season. Let's let's not put any doubt into the equation. And, and there are some things that I think he can improve on in order to make his claim. Like, I, I don't think he can take his exact performance in year two, take it to year three and expect uh, to be, you know, automatic all-star. He's got some some stuff to do in order to make his case against guys like Trey Young and Darius Garland. He actually belongs on the all-star team uh, as as a selection. Which we both think is very easily doable for LaMelo as long as he yeah. continues to grow like the standard development for any young player in the NBA. Also, I think he proved his shooting was no fluke, his rookie season. Mm-hmm. A big worry coming into the league for me for sure I raised my hand very high I was really worried about the shot and then okay you did it your first year this is a great sign can you prove that it still is actually a strength and I mean he did that and then some I you know so wrong on his shooting man that guy is an awesome shooter not only is he okay he's a legitimately fantastic shooter which just unleashes a new ceiling to his game which would already be pretty good if he was just an average shooter plus you go back to the start of the season Doug it was the best start in franchise history. They went, wait for it, 3-0. and And it was the best franchise start that this Charlotte pro basketball team has ever had. We were feeling high, or we were feeling very high. I mean, how about that 3-0? and And then it's like kind of going back to middle of the road again, and then they kind of go on this winning streak to get back some of those victories. But it was a good start. Miles Bridges at the time certainly is somebody that really helped them to that good start. It's it's see I was thinking about this this morning. It seems unusual that three and zero would be the best start in franchise history, but <laughs> yes. but you do have to remember that the franchise is young relative to the rest of the franchises in the NBA. I mean, eighty eight. You know, we're talking about some thirty odd years, so that's only thirty plus opportunities to you know to have a start that's more than three and oh so yeah i think it's it's a little it's a little <laughs> odd but not reflective of like if they if they had said two and oh or they had never won the first game of the season maybe that would be but statistically probability says that's not that strange i mean it's, you, you think the 30-year history that being young comparatively and three and zero is still like that's just enough respectful to for it not to be embarrassing that I that is so. the best yeah, franchise three. start. Three's, yeah, three. I, to think run he, off three. I think four. I think I'd get there at four and zero. <laughs> give me one. Just give me one more in a row. Um, but maybe they got off to it. a good. Yeah, maybe they will. They got off to a good start this past season, and then again, like they fell back. I think they got to three and three, maybe even three and four, and then they started to win more games there. Eventually pretty much finishing just over 500 Doug which okay that's four and a half games over the Vegas total that was given to them by Sin City at the beginning of the season and it was the third straight year I believe they finished over the uh, win-loss total the over-under that they uh, had been given um, which was an argument for some why James Borrego did pretty well and that's great right they finished over 500 it was a really strong year in the Eastern Conference and the Hornets, they fall to the play-in game, which we'll get to in the bad and maybe even in the ugly later on. But the good here, as far as the whole 500 mantra goes, they actually went above 500 on the road, 
which is a really good sign. If you go above 500 on the road, you set yourself up pretty well to at least get a top six spot. It didn't happen, but at least they played away, uh, played well away from the Spectrum Center. Yeah, I mean, they, they overperformed, I think, even reasonable expectations on offense. And as you mentioned, a lot of that was powered by LaMelo Ball's offense. It was powered by uh, an ascension by Miles Bridges offensively, who – uh, whose shooting fell off uh, the cliff, but uh, proved that he could, uh, you know, drive the basketball score at will in, in terms of that. And that really, I mean, I think there was a period there at the beginning of last season where we thought Miles Bridges was on the way to a, an all-star bid, uh, mm-hmm. but his performances fell off as the season continued and then maybe picked back up a little bit at the end. Uh, but, you know, I, I think some of those offensive performances – probably shielded or hit a lot of the defensive issues that they had and that would be uncovered in some of these closer games that they had throughout the season. Yeah, Miles Bridges, also LaMelo Ball, P.J. Washington embracing defense. Those are positives to this season. I also think you talk about the offense. It's I don't know if you have this stat, but you said, I know you wrote down, that the offense was a top 10 offense in the league for the first time in a while. And especially when James Borrego had been begging and pleading for this to be a really fast-paced team, which a lot of coaches are going to come in at the beginning of every season and say, we want to play fast, we want to make sure we get a ton of shots up and, and get a lot of offensive possessions. And then eventually, you know, every coach says that. Who actually is going to do it? Well, James Borrego had said that his first two years. It actually took place this season. They actually did have a fast-paced offense, and it really helped them because that's the only way they were winning games because they were scoring so many points. Yeah, I do I do have that stat. So they mm-hmm. were eighth in offensive rating. They were sixth in points per possession, according to Cleaning the Glass, that gets rid of some garbage, garbage stats. So they were sixth in points per possession, according to Cleaning the Glass. That was their first top 10 uh, performance in points per possession since do you want to make a guess when the last time they were in the top 10 in points per possession i i really have zero clue doug because we Mm -hmm. i'm only skeptical to go back to some of their better teams because i know how bad the offense looked when we would do when we during the pandemic and we'd go and rewatch some of those old hornets games the ball wasn't moving a whole lot it was just so half court and thick in the paint i mean is it is it the I'll go, I'll go, uh, 96, 97. Like I'll go like the Glenn rice years. That's what I'll do. Oh God. No, 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 no. They had good offenses under, I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll pull it up here. So they were 11th off. in points per possession in 18, 19, which would have been uh, Kimball Walker's final year, Borrego's okay. first year. And then the last time they were top 10 in points per possession, according to clean the glass was the previous year, 17, 18. That was Steve Clifford's final year, Dwight Howard, Kimball Walker, uh, Nick Batum, mm-hmm. Marvin Williams, that whole crew. So they they had okay. a really good offense that final year of of Clifford. And the reason Clifford, you can see, I'm pointing to this on the screen, but you can see this is the reason Clifford got fired because at the begin at, towards the beginning when his run really picked up, they were sixth in defense, eighth in defense, ninth in defense. Then the second to last year for Clifford, they were 19th in defense, and then they fell to 17th. So the message defensively had grown old for this team, despite them playing better (laughs) offensively. And this is why Borrego was fired, because year after year after year, they were 23rd, 25th, 20th, 20th in defense. They just could not improve defensively, despite, again, going from 27th in the league on offense, 22nd in the league on offense the next year for Borrego, and then finally 6th. 
They take a huge leap offensively, but can't do much defensively. I want to go to the turnover percentage in the Clifford years where there were four straight years. There were four straight where Steve Clifford's offense actually was first in turnover percentage. They never turned the ball over. And then the following seasons, it was three and two. I think maybe one of those is outside of the Steve Clifford era. I can't see the gears, but a lot of years in a row no, where the no, Hornets those just, are all so those are they are all, all Clifford? They were okay. one, they, yeah, they were they were uh one they were first in 13, 14, first in 14, <laughs> 15, first, first, third, sec, third in his final year. Gotcha. Yeah. I just didn't turn the ball over. Last thing too, the points per possession, um, yeah, barely sneaking in the top ten. I, I didn't think they would have gotten there in the last Kimba years. But Doug, if you don't mind scrolling down, look at—I mean, it's a lot of bad during the Bobcats, and that's what I was kind of going off of. Like the right. Bobcats never finished better than twenty-second. I mean, yeah. ever than twenty-second. And so I was trying to think: okay, you go back all the way to the Bobcats years, no top ten offense there. I mean, honestly, no, not even top twenty. That's it's so bad. The Bobcats. Well, never you'd had have to go, and and if, I mean they don't have these stats on cleaning the glass. I'd have to pull up the offensive rating on NBA.com. But even those late Hornets, uh, you know, here we're getting into some every Hornets box score stuff. But even those late Hornets, like uh, early aughts, late nineties, those teams were not like super powerful on offense. You'd right. Have to, you'd have to dig yeah. back into like probably 90, 97, 96 before you get to some really great offensive teams. Which is exactly my thinking because I thought I I did not think Steve Clifford had gotten to a top 10 offense with Kimball Walker and maybe some of those playoff teams or flirting playoff teams. And so I couldn't go back to the Jamal Mashburn, Baron Davis era because they were still doing it with defense. And then I had to go with Glenn Rice, whose numbers are still crazy. I look at those stats from Glenn Rice every once in a while just to remind myself how nuts they are. Um, Yeah. So maybe we can actually get there. I don't know about this year. I don't know about next year, but I would like to see the Hornets get to a top 10 unit in both offense and defense. If you do that, then you should be looking pretty good come end of the regular season coming up next on the lockdown hornets podcast don't go to sleep on the hornets just yet we gave you the good now we got to go look at the bad no we got to go look at i'm sorry and then we got to go look at the ugly i don't make the graphics i just read them and then i tease them but i also tease built bar and if you haven't tried built bar puffs yet you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys and guess what there's a new flavor delicious indulgent cookie dough it's covered in chocolate that's right built has done it again let me introduce you to your new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs they have a light and chewy texture it's real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they covered it, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All of the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Only 160 calories. They have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. They're high in protein. They're high in fiber, but they're low in calories, and they're low in sugar. It is the best of both worlds. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 at Built.com. The bad and the ugly, up next, Locked on. On Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. Now that we have this question, <laughs> I got I, I feel like I need to ask this. Mm-hmm. Are y'all sweet potato pie folks or you pumpkin pie folks? Pumpkin pie folks. Sweet potato folk. Pumpkin pie. Sweet yeah. potato. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Lots of bad to get to, lots of ugly as well to discuss, especially as the end of the season was taking place for the Charlotte Hornets team, the very end of the season. We'll get to the ugly in the third segment. The bad was something we expected, though. Again, Doug, and that's what's maddening with this franchise. It's not a surprise. 
if you were to ask, hey, before we played one game, Walker, Doug, what's going to be something that probably didn't perform very well at season's end? We're going to say the center rotation. And that's exactly what took place. Mason Plumley gets traded for on draft night. We think it's a decent enough trade because they get the 37th overall pick. They use it on JT Thor. And Mason Plumley, at the end of the day, is going to be a backup center. Cool. That's not a big deal. They're still going to go find their starting center. Maybe even go find one in the draft that hopefully can contribute a little bit as a rookie and then certainly as a sophomore. But that never happened. Mason Plumley came in as the starter because they never made another move. Kai Jones, way too raw of a guy to get significant or even a little bit of minutes in his rookie year. And they're going with Nick Richards, who they tried to start and they tried to play with for like, I don't know, what was it, like a 10-game, 15-game stretch, and that was it. Center, once again, a problem, Doug. Now they have Mark Williams on their squad. Maybe Mason Plumley and Mark Williams is it. You would certainly bet on that, considering how fast we've gone through the offseason to this point. There are still other moves that could be made, but we don't know if they're going to make them. And um, last year was certainly another problem at the five spot. Last year was the, I think, the birth of the Mitch do something movement because I think you and I both saw the potential that this team had and the and the potential that Lamelo Ball was sure uh, to show, and he did, and and we just knew that if a few moves could be made here and there, this team could turn into a playoff team. But for whatever reason, this organization is reticent to put the the foot down on the proverbial pedal and go after players uh, that could get them into the playoffs. I don't know what they're waiting for, uh, but I'll tell you one thing, that going into a season with Mason Plumley and Nick Richards as your center rotation was absolutely franchise malpractice. It was the most... I mean, I I don't call my I watch a lot of basketball, Walker. Okay, I watch a ton of it. I watch too much of it. Ask ask producer Katie. I watch too much basketball, but I don't sit here and proclaim to be some like nylon calculus basketball expert. I'm not a scout. Okay, I so I, I just want to say that to say this. Even I could look at that rotation and go, you know, this is going to be a problem. Uh, defensively, it's going to be a <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah. Like, and, and I think, you know, offensively, I didn't even anticipate how bad it would be. Um, and, and that was because Mason Plumley couldn't hit any free throws. He became not only a defensive liability because of his inability to block shots, but he became an offensive liability despite his good passing skills uh, that I think were probably underrated last season, his ability to move the basketball, which was something the Hornets did quite well when he was on the floor. But his inability to shoot free throws made him nearly unplayable. Uh, towards the end of the season. And and as we look to the play-in game in the next segment, was I think one of the big factors, how much the team had to go small was a huge factor. And it, and it was always going to be that. I knew that. I, I said it. I said, even if this team manages to somehow overcome that in the regular season and get to the playoffs, unless they make a move at the trade deadline, spoiler alert, they did not, they were going to get smashed in the playoffs. Well, I didn't, you know, I wasn't even I wasn't even entertaining the possibility that for the second straight year they would get smashed yeah. in the play-in game. Uh, but that's exactly what happened, and a lot of that fell on the center rotation. It was Walker. It was a basketball atrocity, and that, my friend, deserves a big swig. Get swiggy, get swiggy with, with it. it. People loved it. I I knew it. They would. And how could you not? I tried to you know. 
the the whole the whole trying to come up with catchphrases, not trying to, doing a really good job. I tip my cat uh, cap to you because absolutely. This uh, big swig, by the way, brought to you by my Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, coffee mug, one of my most prized possessions. I found this in uh, one really of those good. Habitat restores in Charlotte, just hanging out. Twenty five mm-hmm. cents I paid for this Star Trek: The Next Generation mug that has the uh, the Enterprise like uh, specs on it. I went to I went to like and I went to like a like a second in Charles yesterday like some you know I don't know if you know what that is like a second I've never been there so maybe I maybe this is the good the bad and the ugly I should have known what this is all along but it's like this antique type store where there's a whole bunch of just knickknacks all over the place they have like vinyls old CDs a bunch of you know crazy stuff I was looking for some sports stuff and couldn't find it but I did see a lot of awesome mugs and that's what I wanted to get because I'm going to be you know I want to sip my coffee I want to be like you Doug and have some cool mugs to show off to the camera and all the listeners on YouTube to check and by the way By the way, Walker, that's all we're asking Mitch Kupchak to do. We're not asking him to go to Saks Fifth Avenue, okay, and Mm -hmm. buy the most expensive. That's a good point. Right. I mean, we're asking him to just do something. That's the motto is not Mitch, go out and get an all star. Right. It's Mitch, do something. Right. And and so, look, the, the caveat or the devil's advocate here would say that maybe the price is too much for a Rashawn Holmes or it's too much during free agency or it's too much for whatever bargain bin center that you might think is worth going after. The other team is asking too much of a price. But then you see an Isaiah Hartenstein go to the Knicks for a really good deal. And we'd be thrilled. Like, I don't think anybody would have embraced Hartenstein like Charlotte Hornets fans would have had they just gone after him. And instead, he goes to the New York Knicks, which is to your point. We're not asking for an all-star. We're asking for a center that, hey, his numbers look pretty good on paper. He's not going to call for even $15 million a year. He's going to be making 8 to 12 which is totally fine. Let's go ahead and bring him into this organization and help us out at that spot. So Mason Plumlee couldn't play clutch minutes. There's just no way you could play him in the clutch because it's not like he was doing anything crazy beneficial outside of free throws, and he would be a crazy liability at the charity stripe, shooting 39% this season it was even bad for a bad free throw shooter so they'd go to the small ball lineups where pj washington playing that center spot he was excellent we looked at those numbers a lot but it didn't help him in the clutch doug at least there weren't a whole lot of good clutch possessions for the charlotte hornets this year i know you have some stats to rattle off based off of some overtime games and some close games they had well they played a lot of close games Mm -hmm. Uh, they were one of only four teams to play seven or more they played seven of them Uh, they lost all seven of their overtime games uh, so they, they were one of only four teams to play seven overtime games. The, the Lakers amazingly played 10. Like 12% of their season was played uh, in overtime. That's Crazy. pretty incredible. Almost as incredible as the Hornets losing every single one of their seven overtime games. If, if two or three of those bounce the Hornets' way, then the Hornets are in a vastly different situation, possibly even in the sixth seed. Like, that's how close the back end of the Eastern Conference was last season. It was super competitive, and the Hornets could have had an opportunity uh, to avoid the play-in altogether had they played just a little bit better in the clutch. But it it wasn't, it wasn't all just lucky bounces. Uh, this was a team that I think showed itself in that play-in game as one that was unorganized, undisciplined, and and really not ready for the moment. 
So even if even if a couple of those bounces had gone their way, Walker, I question whether they really would have been ready for a first round series last season because there were miscues, miscommunications, and then just an unwillingness to really play disciplined on the defensive end. Uh, and and it starts, you know, I, I think there were challenges, obviously, from the center position, but I think it starts up front with both Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball take, taking a lot of chances, a lot of Ole defense, a lot of uh, some other guy will have my back here and not taking the personal responsibility to say, all right, I'm going to get in front of this guy, stay in front of this guy and do whatever it takes uh, to give my back line a little bit of help. Th- there were all kinds of issues like that that really, again, reared their ugly head in that play in game. Minutes distribution is going to be interesting under a new coach. It always is. But as we talk about that backcourt spot, LaMelo isn't, I mean, he shouldn't get his minutes taken away, right? Like we're talking about whether he's going to get them increased. So LaMelo is going to be good. He's your star. And it's not necessarily that you don't, it's not necessarily that you think LaMelo is being lazy on defense. He just gambles all the time. When we talk about Olay defense, I always see that as a Terry Rozier thing and where he's just letting the guy drive by him. He tries to poke the basketball from behind and it drives me crazy. He does that all the time. And then maybe every once in a while he gets it loose. A lot of the time you're leaving your team playing four on five. But also Cody Martin is someone that maybe sees a minute uptick because Steve Clifford embraces that type of identity. And so I, I am interested to see the backcourt minutes distribution as far as a defensive standpoint goes. And does that keep James Booknight off of the floor too? That's why we've talked about that quite a bit. All right, you teased it. They struggled in the play-in tournament. Coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. We talked about the bad. If you can bear with us for just a little longer... We're going to get to the ugly. (laughs) It's actually in order. We'll talk about that last category coming up next. Locked on Hornets. Is locked on Hornets. For right then, I felt like I had some synergy with Mitch, and I felt like, you know what? I'm in these guys' heads. I understand. I talk. I listen. I did all the right things. And then, I did you? Li- what voices were you listening to? Were you listening to the voices deep within your head saying, "This is what I think Mitch is going to do," and then you just regurgitated that back onto Twitter? That's what I always do. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. The good, the bad, the ugly. We appreciate everyone listening to every topic surrounding the Charlotte Hornets and what happened to them this past season. The ugly was the play-in tournament where they actually lost by a greater margin than they did the previous year against the Indiana Pacers, which was shocking. It did not take place as fast as it did against the Pacers where Doug McDermott, you blinked and all of a sudden he scored 10 points within like two minutes in the first quarter. That game was over before it started. Hornets actually hung around in this one at halftime. They were down 10 and really they should have been down six, but they took an early shot. LaMelo ball took one at like the free throw line early in the shot clock. Trey young had an open free throw, basically 15 footer. Hold on now. Let's pause there because that's, it's a huge thing. That's what, when I Mm -hmm. talk about discipline, it's not only on the defensive end, you know, LaMelo ball. I think there were plenty of opportunities that he can clean up in this next season undisciplined on the offensive end not not just it's taking ill-advised shots it's time and situation there were many moments in in this season regular season before this play-in game there were time and situation technicals by players like miles bridges that really hampered the team's ability to win in those clutch moments or maybe to make certain comebacks and so all of this sort of ties in together like you don't you don't get blown out 
in a play-in game like that just because. Like I, I know it's one I know it's one game. You know, it's sort of an any that you, you could go and you could look at that as sort of an any given Sunday mentality, like, well, you know, they just happen to have a bad night. Now I don't think so. I, I think when it comes to those kind of moments, they're big for both teams. Both teams are prepping and you know it you're you're going to you're going in those moments i think to show your true self and i think that's what happened to the hornets they tro- they showed them true their sh- true selves as undisciplined yeah the second half was so ugly and it's why it's why i i gained so much respect for a pj washington who was the only one that really had it going in the first half along with amontrez harrell i mean harrell was there trying to provide some nasty like i'm not going to lay yeah. down And even Trez had some interesting comments during the exit day interview. So he was one of the last ones. And Montrez talked about that saying, hey, I I feel like I should have been playing more. He had a lot to say. So much to the point where I even forgot because he just had the podium mic for a long time, but clearly not happy with James Brago's decision making, saying, yeah, it's hard to come into a team midseason, establish yourself. Remember, because he got traded in exchange for Ish Smith. Mm -hmm. But Montrez was there hitting free throws, trying to go to the rack strong and and pj was hitting shots cody martin was also somebody i think that actually had some redeeming qualities in that game unlike a lot of other hornets and then the second half just got brutal i mean they got shellacked and it was exactly what we saw except sooner against the indiana pacers the year before doug the one thing that could not happen happened and i think that was a big reason as to why james brago was fired you just can't have that happen two years in a row and michael jordan could not let the possibility of that happening a third yeah and i thought there were some coaching decisions in this game uh that resulted in the game getting away from james brago one of those was involving montrez harrell i thought they waited way too long to go to Harold, they tr- they stuck with that small ball lineup as it was just getting absolutely murdered by Clint Capella and DeAndre Hunter in particular, who absolutely ate was way more. F- it just wasn't. It wasn't a physical brand of basketball that the Hornets were putting out on the floor. And Montrez Harrell was a player that, yes, is not going to help you tremendously on defense, no. but had proven up to that point that he could come in and make an impact on a game just simply by having more energy, being more physical. And I just think they waited way too long. They kept switching Trey Young pick and rolls, and, and Trey Young struggled to start the game. But as DeAndre Hunter started to pick up and get them into a bit of a rhythm, then they went back to that Trey Young pick and roll they switched it and you had you know you had uh PJ on Trey and and as much as PJ has helped this team defensively it just had no chance of working I mean Trey ate him alive and and the rest was history the Hornets weren't hitting shots and they let that frustration leak into the rest of of their game we had seen that so many times the previous season you're right Walker this game was different than the Pacers game the Pacers game was during that whole COVID weird there were no fans in the stands they're pumping audio in and the Hornets treated it like a weird like exhibition game it was just like so odd that, how that they game was over as soon game. as it started that game yeah, I, it was, that game yeah it was it was inexcusable awful. and it was so bad that they they pasted it you know the the final box score <laughs> Which is so embarrassing. on their practice and, yeah. and for good reason like hey this is a reminder don't go into the game that unprepared and to their credit we made fun of them a lot for doing that and then getting blown out right but to their credit they approached this second play-in game with a better attitude 
But just ultimately, they were too undisciplined to fight over the fact because they never leaned on their defense. They never could lean on their defense. And and at least, you know, it, it, through the struggles that Atlanta had, they they had Clint Capella back there to to anchor some some defensive presence. Well, and, and I always hate questioning the effort of NBA players, and I, I rarely do it. In the second half, you felt like the Hornets weren't giving 100% of what we have seen from them before. And now, honestly, no. that's, you know, we, we can say that about a few fourth quarters this season where they would lose the game in the fourth quarters because they just wouldn't know how to close these games out. But it also didn't feel like they came out with the same energy, at least, at, as they did at the beginning yeah. because the shot wasn't falling. They, they clearly came out with, you know, hoisting up shots. We're ready to go. It was almost like you're a high schooler getting ready for a state championship game. You just need the first five minutes to settle in. You know, it was kind of that not wanting to see the Pacers result that took place the previous year. And, but look like you, you were down 10 and honestly, you should have been down way more because yeah. you, you Trey young did not have it going. The Hornets actually defended Trey Young better than any team over the last five years mm -hmm. coming into that game, and it was proving true in the first half. Just everybody else was hitting shots. I feel like, Doug, DeAndre Hunter, man, did he hit two corner threes in a row? I feel like that took place on consecutive possessions, and that felt like game. As soon as that happened, and the Hornets never had a shot coming back. At least it didn't feel like that. Well, you're right. I, I think there was there, there was it was evident that there was a lack of belief that they could come back in this game. And the the four pillars that James Borrego had set up had had just completely crumbled. I mean, the house had come down. And I think that's why ultimately the the franchise felt that they they had to move on, because if you know, you the, the message was obviously not hitting um, despite the frustrations that Terry Rozier had uh, after that first play in game and throughout the season when they would lose close games, he would, he would be frustrated and come out and say, you know, this isn't hey, I want, I want, uh, you know, playoff level basketball. And I'm trying to tell these guys what it takes, but then Terry Rozier doesn't show up for this game yeah. offensively or defense two in a row, two in a row, Doug, that the Pacers game didn't show up. Hawks game did not show up. And when we talk about big game performances, wanting to see your star step up, I give LaMelo ball a pass and a half, if you will. So going against the Pacers two years ago, I guess, right? Two seasons ago, that dude was a rookie that came in 10 games played at the end of the regular season after a broken wrist where it was still bothering him when he came back and his shooting numbers suffered from it. If he just didn't play at all, his numbers would have actually looked a decent amount better, but gave it a go. We didn't even expect him to come back and he did. And I, I don't like young injury. Fine. Struggled against the Pacers. In this game against the Hawks, struggled. So, okay, I, I feel like you're allowed at least one or two play-in games where you don't step up before you even hit 21 years old, right? It would be nice to see LaMelo this year step up in a game if the Hornets even get to the postseason. If he doesn't do it, right, like let's say, we're, I mean, we're looking really a year into the future now, but if LaMelo has another game where he doesn't step up, then that's going to be a problem. But if anybody's trying to, I don't know, criticize what took place the last two as far as LaMelo's lack of big game moments. I don't see it yet, Doug. Right? I'm not trying to hit that with him yet just because of the two games in the play-in where he didn't play very well. No, I I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, I think this year I'm not, I, I'm putting all my passes away uh, because, That's what I'm, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, because because they may not be with the services of of Miles Bridges, who was by like a tenth of a point the leading scorer uh, over Lamelo Ball. So if that's the case, and they don't replace that scoring, then Lamelo Ball is going to be the guy. And he's he's not going to have any excuses. And I think for him, offensively, he's got it figured out. Like I, I don't think anyone needs to come in and tell him how to run an offense. He obviously except for the decision making, like like shot selection and time, like we kind of talked. Yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously yeah. yeah, there are little little things here and there, but I think in general, he's got the offensive side of the floor yeah. figured out in the NBA. He was able to score twenty plus points per game uh, and make an all star uh, all star appearance. But defensively, he's got a lot to figure out. And if he wants to, if he wants to be elite, I think he has the capability. I think he has the physical tools that if he wanted to be elite defensively, he could be. Uh, but I don't even think he has to be that. I just think he has to be passable defensively and and more than just stealing the basketball. I'm not talking about stealing the basketball. He obviously has an otherworldly ability to do that. I'm talking about Staying in front of your man, staying in yeah, front of your man, and understanding yeah. scheme. You know, understanding the defensive scheme and staying disciplined within that scheme, so that you don't. Because I, I don't think he's lazy on the defensive end, but I do think that there were times, like if you go back and look at that play-in game, there were times when he was doing a lot of like this pointing, like, hey, hey, this is you. It was like, nah, man, you should have stayed in front and and held that guy at bay. And, and so the dominoes didn't collapse and that guy gets an easy layup. There was just a lot. And I, it wasn't just him. I mean, this, it was a problem throughout the team on the defense where it just didn't feel like anyone was taking personal responsibility to, to hold their man. And I think that was a cultural thing that hopefully Steve Clifford can come in and improve upon. Well, and again, with the Terry Rozier point, Terry Rozier yeah. has talked about how important the playoffs are and how he wants those guys to get there. And maybe, the, I mean, I'm sure there are some behind the scenes stuff that might frustrate him that we just don't know about. He does come from an organization that saw the playoffs quite a bit. And Terry Rozier actually got some of his fame because of his ability to step up in the playoffs. We know that he actually had some big time performances with the Celtics in their run a few years back, but that hadn't happened in the last two playing games for this team. And so, you know, that's a problem from a Terry Rozier. Last thing I'll say, too, before we end, <laughs> here we are talking about LaMelo, when we need to see the big-time games. Haven't seen him the first two. That's okay. And a lot of that is because he's 20. Mm -hmm. Doug, when you see some of these stars, it, it's amazing the young talent that the NBA has in place mm -hmm. right now. When you see a, a Luka Doncic who's like 23, which is mind-boggling. I, I might have even overshot that. Um but LaMelo's 20 years old, man. Like, he's even young for a young dude, which is crazy. Yeah. I, you look at him already getting an all-star appearance. I don't care if it's first alternate. It's not like anybody said he wasn't deserving of it. When you get into that game, when you're already averaging basically 20 points and 7-7, seven and seven, right, when your it's numbers crazy. hit those, and you're only 20 years old and you're shooting the way you are right now, you're you're a young man's young man. That's what's nuts about all of this, and we can continue to see him develop um and be a, a really special player it's all there it's all there yeah the last the last thing that i'll say is that if we do this again next august and we're talking uh more positively about the team than we've talked about the team in this episode it's not going to be because they shot the basketball a little bit better it's not going to be because offensively 
they've made a ton of improvements. I mean, I think this offense has room to improve. Uh, I think they could be a top five offense easily. They were top, they were top 10 already. I think they could be top five. Honestly, I think it's going to take that. They've got to be even better offensively, but if if they're just the same defensively, if you're getting the same level of commitment across the board, uh, and they don't, and you don't see a few more players make a PJ Washington level jump defensively into this next season, then we're probably talking about uh, the the team in the same light, not making the playoffs, and possibly looking for a new coach for the second year in a row. The only the only thing I worry about with the offense is Miles Bridges carried such a heavy load last year. And if you're not going to have him, which it doesn't look like you are, that's asking a lot from everybody. It'd be one thing yeah. to ask because we are going to ask a lot from LaMelo and LaMelo. We feel like he can do it. PJ, as much as I love him, I don't know how much more I think he can improve a little and maybe even a medium amount. You might need to have him improve a ton offensively. Hey, taking the guy, you know, taking his defender off the dribble and Jalen and we've, we've done this. And he but- could he. He could do oh, that. Tough. He could do that if I think if he's not asked to do so much on the defensive end. So that's the key. Can they can they find some ways to take some pressure off him defensively so that he can can expand his game offensively? Big question heading into this next season. All right, that'll do it for Lockdown Hornets. Appreciate you hopping on with us as you do and making us your first listen every single day. Make your second listen, Lockdown NBA. It's your daily 30-minute update on everything going on in the association. Make sure you catch that wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow.